This episode is brought to you by Vanta. Vanta's trust management platform helps you quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, and more. Learn how by watching Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com slash WSJ. Coming up on the Money Beat podcast, we're looking at European banks, negative interest rates, and the doom loop. We are joined by two of our colleagues from London, Josie Cox and James McIntosh. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Everything you need to know about money and the markets, and then some. Welcome to the Money Beat podcast. Paul Vigna, Stephen Grosser here with you. Markets are closed in the United States, but that doesn't mean that the markets are closed doesn't mean that the issues are over. doesn't mean that you can rest. doesn't mean that we can rest either. So here we are talking about the markets. And we're going to do something uh, very special today. We have two of our colleagues from London joining us, Josie Cox and James McIntosh, because we want to talk about European banks today. And, and uh, either one of you, Josie or James, you know, more than a month ago, I remember reading a single report that just kind of fell into my inbox uh, about problems at Italian banks. And it was Cumberland Advisors, David Kotak, pretty well-known guy. And he was talking about problems at Italian banks. And I thought, well, that seems uh, that, that seems kind of, you know, ring-fenced or, you know, that seems like a small issue maybe. Uh, six weeks later, everyone is talking about European banks and the problems at European banks. Uh, what are, what, what is causing all this uh, agita about the European banks? There's, there's several different things going on, um, and in a sense, that's part of the problem, that there, are, there isn't one single cause which has left people confused, scratching their heads, and uh, very worried about it. But there are a whole bunch of separate things going on. So in Italy, there's a problem that they, uh, sort of coming up towards the end of the year, they wanted to rescue their, some of their small banks, deal with some of their small banks, before they got uh, into new European rules that mean that large depositors would have to take a hit um, and subordinated debt holders and people like that and potentially even senior debt holders. So in Italy there was that problem going on. Something similar happened in Portugal um, where they sort of uh, were basically reneged on a deal um, about rescuing a bank um, and then a whole bunch of bondholders in the new bank ended up finding that they'd made big losses again at the end of the year uh, and kind of out of the blue for people. So this was all a bit of a shock. But these were these were seen as little separate things. They were sort of bad news, but not catastrophic. Mm-hmm. But they've added they've added to that general sense of fear um, uh, that you've got from worries about economic slowdown, worries about um, you know, increased deflation, um, and then particularly in the last couple of weeks, much more worries about negative interest rates, which in effect are attacks on the banks in Europe, um, which is very bad news for them. Um, it's not catastrophic for them, but it, you know, for a bunch of banks that aren't very profitable to start with, it's it's pretty bad news to have. Uh, uh, negative interest rates that you can't then pass on through to your customers. So all of that's added together to make a bunch of uh, uh, pain. And then the really confusing thing that's come in on top of it all is that Deutsche Bank, which is um, one of the less capitalized banks in Europe and really not not particularly profitable, to put it mildly, hmm. um, and, and you know everyone hates it basically. Um, <laughs> what, what's come in there is that the uh, new CEO has come in um, uh, from UBS, very nice guy, uh, has put forward his plan for revamping it. Hasn't, people haven't really bought into that, and then suddenly 
kind of out of nowhere, people have realized that there might be potentially a problem with their um, uh, cocos, which are these uh, European bonds, a bit like preferred shares, uh, but basically they can convert into equity if the bank has a capital problem. Mm. Now, Deutsche doesn't have a capital problem, but due to a quirk in the German accounting rules, it may not be able to pay its coupons, was what people worried about. Now, Deutsche insists it can pay the coupons and it's got loads of money, but on the other hand, it lost billions and billions of euros last year. And if that happened again, and there's no particular reason to think it will, but if it did happen again, then they might have a problem in, in paying the coupons on those cocos. And if that all sounds complex, that's because it is. And in a sense, it's that complexity that's really worrying people. And that, the worries then feed on themselves. People see the prices falling and they think something must be wrong. Right, right. No, it really does feel like a stew that's sort of, you know, hitting the banks of all these different things. Um, I want to talk about, sort of get back to sort of negative interest rates. I mean, you sort of look, if you looked at Google Trends in the last day or so, you saw no one searching for negative interest rates. Right. And all of a sudden, before the last day or so. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And now there's this massive spike in it. But how does that really impact the profitability of sort of the European banks and then, and, and that effect on their capital? Um, sort of requirements, especially as regulators are expecting them to increase that over the next few years. Well, I think I think as James said, I mean, sort of essentially, negative interest rates are basically a tax on banks. So it means less. It's sort of in very basic terms, it means less money coming into the bank, coming in to help them kind of buffer against um, against future trouble, and then. We also have to remember that negative interest rates are basically a way for economies to stimulate themselves. And so if interest rates are negative, then there's only so much further you can cut them. So there's only so much more ammunition, so to speak, that you have to kind of bring out of your coffer and sort of use to stimulate the economy. So it, it does kind of limit what else, um, what else institutions and economies can do to uh, really get themselves out of this rut. Yeah, you know, it's amazing. We had an article on on Friday. Uh, it was on the front page of the paper, you know, and uh, it talked about the doom loop and, and the fact that the banks are now stuck between this this negative these negative interest rates, which you you guys say is is a tax on on them, and the the effectiveness of what that means that they can do in the economy effectively. They're kind of squeezed between these two ends of the weak economy and this tax on them from the central banks. And everything I have read about negative interest rates has said that this is not going to work. This is a bad idea. It's a desperate idea. Uh, the market seemed to agree with that. And yet the banks, it's almost like they're being pulled into a black hole on this thing. They are being, they're just further and further going down. You saw, you know, it was it was Sweden first, then it was ECB, then it was Japan. Then Sweden went further with it last week. The Fed was talking about it in really almost you know, very sober, normal terms about whether or not they would be interested in doing this. Uh, what is the sense over there about how how dire a state of affairs we are in that the banks feel they need to do this? Well, the central banks obviously have a, a serious problem um, that there just isn't any inflation. Now, some of it seems... Uh, difficult to justify, to say the least. So if you look at the Swedish, for example, they've got a booming economy, uh, they've got incredibly low unemployment, and they've got no inflation, but that's primarily because oil prices have fallen so much. Mm -hmm. um, Japan, you could argue to some extent the same thing. 
their main problem is that the currency has been strengthening. Not really about inflation, because actually their underlying inflation, when you strip out the effect of the oil price falls, is at something like 1.3%. Now, that doesn't sound great, but for Japan, that's incredibly high, certainly quite a long way above the you know, out of the deflation risk. But the thing that they worry about, and the Swedish this week made it clear, the thing they really worry about is that if you have low inflation for a long period of time, even if it's caused by something good, like low oil prices, which ought to help your consumers, even with that, the mere fact that it's low for a long period of time means that companies say, well, inflation's only running at 0.5%, so we'll give you a tiny pay rise this year. Consumers get used to prices not going up very much. And so low inflation expectations get locked in for the long run. And that's what Sweden says it's worried about. Now, that seems to me overdone, and given the state of their economy, I think it's, it's a bit over the top. But clearly for uh, Sweden, for Switzerland, which has very negative interest rates, and for Japan, part of the point is to lower their currency, to weaken their currency, which would help them by importing some inflation. Now, that doesn't really sound good. You're going to have to pay more for foreign stuff, right? Um, but it would help them get their inflation number back up, which is what they're currently focused on, right. even if it wouldn't necessarily be that great for the economy of the world as a whole. Yeah. Um, so it seems to me that that's the, that's the sort of basic economics behind it all. In terms of the banks, the actual impact on them, I mean, if you look at the level of negative interest rates, I mean, even in um, Sweden, which is quite a long way advanced, it's minus 0.5%. And that's charged only on the reserves uh, that the banks have at the central bank. And in the case of Sweden, that's tiny. It doesn't really have that much effect. Uh, in the European, uh, sorry, in the eurozone, um, uh, they're not so negative. And on top of that, uh, they, sorry, and it's worse that they do have to pay it on a much larger amount. But it's still, in terms of their profits, relatively small amounts. Um, especially compared with the sort of bad debts that they have. And this doesn't look like a 2008 moment. I think much more important is the broader sense that it feels like the central banks have run out of ammunition. And that right. means if they're not standing by to help anymore, any sort of negative shock, and we've seen quite a few of those if you think about China, suddenly the central banks aren't in a position to rescue the market so easily. Right, right. Let's, uh, let's take a break. Let's take a break, Grosser, and we'll come back on the other side after this short message. Hi, this is Kevin Sitzemong. This is Beth Cracklauer. Check us out on the Off-Duty Podcast. We talk about food, cocktails, cars, tech, watches, fashion, travel, all of the finer things in life. Check us out at wsj.com slash podcast. And become a subscriber on iTunes. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, Money Beat. Uh, welcome back, friends. Paul Vigna, Steve Grosser in New York, Josie Cox and James McIntosh in London talking about European banks and uh, Mr. Grosser, I believe you have a question well, for us. James, you mentioned that this, you know, 2008. And one of the things that we've been sort of hearing tossed around a lot is that the problem at the banks is more chronic and not acute. And that the European banks, you know, are swimming in actual liquidity, which suggests that this isn't another, you know, 2008 redux where, you know, it, at least here in the U.S. where the government had to step in and rescue all the banks or anything to that effect. This is more of a a simmering issue that the banks will have to deal with at some point. 
I think I think that's fair to say. Sorry, it's Josie here. No um, that a lot of people are obviously jumping to conclusions, asking to what extent this feels like 2008, to what extent we're going to see another Lehman happen or another Burstans. But you're absolutely right. It does seem like banks are in a much better position now than they were back then. They're better capitalised. So even though, as James was explaining, there are definitely some tight spots still there. Um, overall, fundamentally, they are in much better health. Um, and I think the difference as well between what we're seeing now and what we saw before 2008 was that it is contained to the financial sector. I mean, the, the vast majority of the sell-offs that we've seen in, 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 in Europe this week have stemmed from the financial sector. And there's no real sign that that's going to spill over sort of significantly into, for example, corporate debt in the near future, um, which is something that made 2008 so systemic and so so huge, I suppose. Um, so uh, there is a good chance that this is going to stay contained. Um, a lot of people I've been talking to have been saying that this is a lot more about fear than it is about fundamentals. So a lot more um, people getting emotionally involved in markets uh, and fearing the worst uh, and sort of seeing these big these big numbers and then reacting to them. The other thing is, of course, that liquidity has actually not been that high in this past couple of sessions. Um, and when liquidity is not high in markets, then any move is going to be amplified. It's going to look bigger kind of on paper and on the screens. Um, so, so that's going to also get people worried uh, and get people trading on it. I have to say there's a there's a um, sort of meme going around the markets at the moment. I've spoken to several hedge fund managers in the past couple of days who've said this is uh, this is because everyone went to see the big short uh, when the <laughs> film came out uh, and uh, they've all suddenly rediscovered CDS yeah. um, and they've all started buying CDS which is the insurance on the bank bonds. Um, used on banks, and they're they're buying this CDS, making making it look quite bad, and people outside the CDS space are saying, "Oh blimey, look, the CDS is going going haywire. We, there must be something wrong." So they're selling the shares, and then the CDS guys are saying, "Oh my God, look at the shares! Quick, buy more protection, buy more CDS." So you get this feedback cycle of these things. Um, in, in many cases, it doesn't really make any sense. So, for example, the focus on the cocos, lots of people have been buying themselves uh, CDS on the senior bonds, but the CDS on the senior bonds won't pay out even if Deutsche Bank, which is the, the sort of leading focus of people's worries here, even if Deutsche Bank didn't pay its COCO coupon, and again I should say absolutely they insist they will, but even if they didn't, those CDS, that insurance wouldn't pay out. So in some cases this is a, you know, it's a little bit odd. Um, it's sort of people playing the fear. So there's a lot of second round effects and third round effects going on here where everyone's looking at everyone else and saying, God, look how scared they are, quick sell. So, um, so, so this is the Steve Carell sell-off? Is that what we're, being, we're expected to believe? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I actually saw someone on the tube this morning reading the uh, the colossal failure of common sense. That book that came oh, out yeah, after, yeah, sure, after sure. Lehman as well. So surely, you know, this is obviously uh, topical at the right. moment. One I of the questions I... is is also going to the U.S. banks. I mean, U.S. banks have also been hammered this year. Um, however, they haven't been hit as hard as their European counterparts. Why is that? And, and you know, sort of why also are you know the U.S. banks getting hit as well? I think there's two two sort of basic issues here, which is that the U.S. economy is stronger than the European economy, and the U.S. banks are better capitalised than the European banks. Um, but there's also the secondary point that, of course, the U.S. Uh, still has positive interest rates, um, uh, and uh, the eurozone doesn't. 
but there's been some oddities going on as well. so in the u k, for example, which also in fact has higher interest rates than the u s, so the banks in principle ought to be better off and where the banks are very, very well capitalized in many cases those banks are still being sold off so you're finding that the cocos in royal bank of scotland for example which has one of the best capitalization ratios of all the big banks have been sold off in the past couple of weeks again for no obvious no obvious reason um, there isn't any there isn't any serious likelihood of them converting and the uk economy while it's been slowing down is still growing perfectly well yeah you know it's, it's funny i noticed too and and Last week, you had a couple of things that stuck out to me that I thought were, were very curious, where you had, you know, talking a lot about Deutsche Bank, uh, where Deutsche Bank said that they were going to buy back $5.4 billion in debt securities. And here in the U.S., we had Jamie Dimon very publicly buy about 500,000 shares last, of J.P. Morgan last, last you know, no, on, on Thursday, whatever day it came was. Out, yeah. uh, and you've had a couple of bank executives come out and say, oh, we're, we're in good shape. We're gonna, And I, I'm sorry. But it all just reminds me of the fact that once you have to start talking about what good shape you're in, the, the, the odds are you're not in as good shape as you think. And everyone wants to say that the banks are, are better capitalized now and the rules have changed and blah, blah, blah. But they were saying the exact same things before the crisis hit in 2008. And, and you know, it, look, it is all about the size of the storm. It is really about the size of the storm that hits. Everybody knows that banks are exposed at a certain point. They just are. Fractional reserve accounting, these banks are exposed at a certain point. It is about the size of the storm that hits. And I think that is where the really, really big issue lies and the fear that the, the central banks, now that they're in these negative interest rate eras and we're at such low rates to begin with, have no ammunition to fight that storm. So it's, you know, it's fun to say it's all Steve Carell's fault, but I mean, there are real things going on in the world. There are real yeah. things. There are real issues out there. Re- I know Gross is smiling because he hears this from me every day, every morning. For three, four years. <laughs> there clearly are risks out there, right? I mean, the banks are, the banks are uh, well capitalized for banks compared with recent history. But, yeah, it's still fractional reserve banking. I mean, you're right. talking about, you know, 8% tangible tangible uh, cover against losses. So if they lose 8% of their book value through bad debts, then they're bankrupt, right? Now, that's bad news. But on the other hand, that's also very good news, because compared with before the crisis, they're massively well capitalised. And it's not obvious that uh, whilst there has been some of the uh, sort of pre-crisis type shenanigans going on, it's not obvious that there's been quite the same degree of you know, wild excess. In fact, I'd say it's quite obvious that there hasn't been the same degree of wild excess. Uh, so there has been excess going on in certain areas. You know, you look at US subprime car loans, for example. Um, and, you know, Europe, you can plausibly say that there's still a trillion of bad debts out there that haven't been dealt with. Um, but on the other hand, it's probably too early to say that the central banks have truly run out of firepower. Um, they don't have to go to more negative rates. I mean, they could do more QE if they chose to. They can, these guys set the rules. They can do whatever they want. I mean, ultimately, they can just give money to the banks if they want to, right? So, it, you know, are they really going to allow another massive banking crisis? It doesn't seem to me that that's very likely. Um, on the other hand, you know, the probability is clearly now higher than it was because there's more chance now of that, that we face a recession. Um, and you've also got the, you know, whole slowdown in 
global demand that the commodities are right. demonstrating. Right. Right. I, I and those, I suppose, are more sectors out, out, out of the control of central banks in individual countries. And the ECB, for example, I mean, oil prices, China, there's only so right. much of it that you can control. I mean, a lot of this is like, I mean, I think just comes back to we're in a slow growth economy and we have been for years and there's not a lot of room for error. No. No. All right. Let's uh, let's leave it there. James, Josie, I want to thank you a lot for joining us. I know you guys are busy. Thank you. Yeah, no, it was great. It was fun. Uh, Stephen Grosser, Paul Vigna, everyone, we'll check back with you later this week. Don't don't change that dial. This episode is brought to you by Vanta. Vanta's trust management platform helps you quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, and more. Learn how by watching Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com slash WSJ.